Hey, I'm Zach. Thanks so much for checking out this week's message. I hope that it encourages you. I hope it challenges you. And I hope that it causes you to dive deeper into God's word. I also hope that you have some community around you that you can talk through some of these things with. And if you don't, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our community here at Restore, whether that's coming to one of our Sunday gatherings or coming to one of our Restore groups. Either way, we would love to see you. You can get more information about that on our website at restoreaustin.org. And I hope you enjoyed this week's video. morning. My name is Mark. I currently serve here at Restore Austin as the care pastor, and I'm excited to be here. And I'm praying that I can get through this message because at times like this, I often wonder, God, why did you, why did you choose me for a time like this? And so I'm overwhelmed at the opportunity to share God's love. Last time I spoke here, I was, in, I was an intern here at Restore. And I pushed hard and worked hard, and I was going through um, Dallas Theological Seminary. I was working hard and finally graduated with 4.00. Amen. $4.00 dollars in my pocket. I had $4. And I bought me a value meal, and I celebrated my accomplishment. It was so good. And so now I'm here today, thankful, thankful for God. And so I want to share this, the, the, the foundational scripture with you. So if you have your, your iPad or your, your electronic device or your Bibles, the thing about connecting today, it starts off, it says, if, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so that's our foundational scripture for connecting. And I often think about my job that I do. I work, I serve as a chaplain uh, with Marketplace Chaplains and just uh, came on board with Baylor Scott and White Hospital. So I'm in a hospital, most of the time I'm in a hospital room 
at someone's bedside or I'm out in the community just sharing God's love with, with people. And I've been through tough situations with people, walking through some dark and some very trying times with them. And, you know, sometimes all I can do is weep after the engagement and, and say, Lord, just help them and work through this situation. Sometimes people are receptive to the chaplain. Like, hey, chaplain, I want to celebrate something with you. And sometimes people are not so receptive. Uh, they think the chaplains are the doom and gloom. I'm going to come and bring you bad news and bad tidings, and that is not the case. So much so, I want to talk to you about a friend, and I'll call her uh, Deborah. She is what I would call a very tough person. She's, she's tough. She, she's so tough, she could, she could bench press me. Um, and I would go to the, to the building where, where she would work at, and, you know, every now and then I'd try to talk to her, and she would, you know, okay, chaplain, and just very non-receptive. And I don't get bothered by that because I think that building community and building relationship is the core of what a chaplain should do and what we as believers should do. And so I would just, just share love every time. And so one day, I got a call from Deborah. It was amazing. And we had a good conversation. And she began to share some things that she was going through and began to cry out about all of the things that she had been through. And typically, I, I'm pretty good with handling conversations with people. I'm pretty good with sharing and answering questions, people asking questions, why, you know, why does, if God is so loving, why does he allow this to happen to me? If this happened, you know, does God really love me? And so those are pretty, pretty easy questions. But she asked me a question I wasn't quite ready for. She said, Chaplain, thanks for sharing with me today, but I have a question for you. I said, okay, what's, what's the question? She said, have you ever been to prison? Excuse me? Have you ever been to prison? And I said, no. I've never been to prison. She said, I was just wondering, because you have such a connection with people, and you connected with me in such a way that I was in prison before, and I just thought, surely he had to have been in prison before to connect with people at any level, at any socioeconomic standing. And that threw me like you wouldn't believe. What she was saying is, Chaplain, you connect with me and with people in such a way that you just overlook who they are. You overlook what they've done. You overlook all these things and you connect. You have such a swag about you. And I said, oh, yeah, I do. I do have a, a swag. And I think that that sets us up for connecting and, and looking beyond people's faults, looking beyond what they've done, looking beyond the things that they go through and look 
to help them. And so the next time that I saw uh, Deborah, I, I, you know, typically I give a handshake hi, and, I, and she said, oh, no, no, I don't hug, man. Don't, don't hug me. And I said, oh, okay, Deborah. I want to share with you about another friend of mine. He's in the Old Testament. So I'm going to read a few scriptures. And this is the story of Mephibosheth. It starts in 2 Samuel, the ninth chapter, in the first through the 10th verse. It says, Then David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul, that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said unto him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodibar. The king of David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar, Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, here is your servant. David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Again, he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, all that belong to Saul and all his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Sometimes... I feel like Mephibosheth. And let me give you a little history of this. Saul was the king. Saul had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan and David had a great relationship with one another. So much so that Jonathan made a vow with David and David made a vow with Jonathan that I am going to take care of you and I won't let anything happen to you no matter what happens. Even though Saul, Jonathan's father, was trying to kill David, Jonathan risked his life and said, David, I will protect you and I will look out for you. They made that covenant together. Saul, being the king that he was, did everything that he could to kill David. 
And I believe Saul was trying to look out for his legacy so that Jonathan could be raised up a king. Lo and behold, though, Jonathan and Saul came to an untimely death. So much so that when a servant heard about it, Mephibosheth was about five years old. This servant, thinking that something can happen to this child, she picked him up. And in her haste, she began to run with Mephibosheth and she dropped him accidentally and he was crippled for life. And this is where you see David. Now he's going throughout the kingdom trying to merge these, the north and south kingdom together. He's trying to merge these kingdoms and he's looking around and says, does, is anyone here from the house of Jonathan? And they say, yes, Mephibosheth. Now think about this. Mephibosheth wasn't around within reaching distance. He was hidden in the back. He was where no one can see him. He was just a cast away. He was crippled. He was a nobody. He was somebody that nobody paid attention to. He's just hopeless. Again, I sometimes feel like Mephibosheth. Sometimes I feel that, you know, all of my chances of being something were dropped because if it wasn't for you, Sometimes I feel like when I had hope, you took away my hope because I didn't get that job. If I only had that job, then I would be in a better position. Sometimes my feelings of worth are squashed because of what you said to me and because of the way that you made me feel. Now I can do nothing but sit here in my crippled state. And it's very Convenient to focus on my limitations and then count myself out. And when I do that, and when we do that to one another, God's people become those people. We become us and them. We become those broken people. I like what Elizabeth Ross said. She said, the most beautiful people are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep, loving concern. Beautiful people don't just happen. So like I said, it becomes pretty easy to look over people, count them out. Oh, they'll never be anything. Don't even worry about them. Oh, don't even share with them. 
I often think about the first responder, Officer Peterson. You may have heard him in the news. The officer that didn't respond to the firefight or the killing that went into the mass shooting that went into that school in Florida. I think about Officer Peterson and me as a chaplain began to wonder, wonder what Christ would say to Officer Peterson. How would, how would Christ respond to this officer that did not engage the killer? I think, I think it would look something like this. To take this time to know that I will lead you through these tough fields and streams, and I'm here for you. I think that's what it would sound like. And if it would sound like that with Christ, how do we, as God's people, sound when people have made a mistake, when people have done things that don't seem right. When people have done things that are not popular, when people have said things to hurt others, how do we respond to that? Because it's, it's easy to count them out and it's easy to look down on them. But I believe it's much easier to say God can get you through this. And this is where I like in verse 19 of the foundational scripture, it says, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against us. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. God has committed to us the word of reconciliation, not counting our trespasses. It's not as though God is, yep, you, got, you have one more time and it's over. And I know if you're like me, I have prayed this prayer many times. God, if you just give me one more chance, I promise God this will never happen again. And that one time, that one more time becomes history. And so that's why we have to ask ourselves, then how do we deal with this issue? How do we share? How do we love on people? How do we look beyond people's faults? I think I like that question. Because like I said in our uh, foundational scripture, it starts out by saying, therefore, if any Man, remember that? We love to quote that, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Now, I want to, let me share something with you. Therefore, when you read New Testament scripture, therefore, it's sort of like an amber alert. Do you remember a couple of Sundays ago, we heard eh, everybody's phone start going off that there's something different happening? Think of the word, therefore, like an amber alert. And Paul is summarizing this by saying, therefore, so what is there, therefore? 
If you went up a few scriptures to the 14th verse of 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, it says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. This word controls means, is a, the way it's pronounced is seneho, which means seizes. That means the word of God, God's love, it seizes us. It goes after us. It runs after us. Even though we've messed up, even though things have happened, even though we feel like I'm just crippled and I don't need to be on the team, he still comes after us and says, I love you and I want you on my team. He seizes us. He, he just controls us in a way to say, listen, don't worry about your failures. Don't worry about what you've done wrong. Don't worry about your past because I have a future for you that will look beyond what you're seeing right now. This is how we love those. We do it in such a way that we look beyond the fault and we see the need, and the need is Christ. How do we do that? I know we've heard of many different um, explanations for the word love, phileo, and eros love, and we thought about, um, you know, the love of mankind for one another, agape. But then there's another love we don't hear a lot about, and this is a love that Jonathan and David had, I believe, and it's called the chesed, H-E-S-E-D. It is a loyal love. I don't know about you. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'll raise my hand for you. So this, I got about 100 hands here. Aren't you glad that God didn't count you out? Aren't you glad that God didn't say, because you've done this, because you didn't believe in me, because you failed, I'm just counting you out. I'm so glad that he didn't count me out. It is the Hesed kind of love. And I think this is why Paul began to say uh, that this kind of love goes after us. I like in Paul's writings in the third chapter of Romans, he says, whom God publicly displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith that was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. For the, for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No. But by the law of faith. Paul is saying we have no reason to boast. We have no reason to have a haughtiness about ourselves as though we've done something great. He's saying, no. Christ, who knew no sin, 
became sin for us. How can we do this? How can we love in this way? I've come up with, a, with an acronym, and I call it CARE. How do we care for others? The first thing we would need is we would need compassion. Compassion is needed beyond looking at the situation. I can remember being called to a to a, the ICU. Man was had a um, head injury, massive trauma to his body. Family was around the bed. And so I came alongside the family, and one family member was a bit distraught. We took her outside and began to talk to her, and I began to ask the question, you know, what, what, would, you, what would you like to see through all of this? And her response was, I would like to see him suffer. I want him to suffer. He's my brother. And as much pain that he's caused our family, I want him to wake up through this and see all of the damage that he's done. And as I began to listen to her conversation, I, be, I saw we're not talking about the brother. Where are you at in this? How do you respond to this kind of situation when others are hurting and you can't see that hurt? And as I began to probe those type of questions, she began to weep and cry and then tell her story of where her hurt was at. And this is what Paul is saying, that because of your hurt, because of what you have been through, you are more designed to be and offer that ministry of reconciliation. But it has to first start with compassion. And then the next thing is acceptance. Not accepting the, the, the sin and not accepting the things that are going wrong. I mean, we, we're not ones to judge. But just accept, hey, you know what? You are flawed. We are all flawed. But I can accept that you are a person. You have worth. You have beauty. And I accept that about you. And then when we accept them, then we can offer a level of respect. Yes, I can respect you. Yes. And then the E in care is empathy. I'll tell you about a time also when I deployed. I was in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. And this is when Haitians from Haiti were trying to swim across and come to the United States, as well as Cubans were trying to swim across. And the, the um, Coast Guard were 
capturing them in those waters and bringing them to Guantanamo Bay. And they set up camp. So we had a Cuban camp and we had a Haitian camp. And I remember going in this Haitian camp one night. We were working with the chaplains, providing ministry. And this one little boy, maybe about eight or nine years old, he had lost his mother in the water. He had lost his father and his family. All he had was on a pair of shorts, no shirt, tattered hair, no shoes. And me thinking, you know, Sergeant Jordan, I have the resources, I was in supply, I have the resources to help him. And I kneeled down to him and said, young man, how, how can we help you? How can we, how can we help you now? How can we pray for you? And his response to me was, I just want to know about Jesus. I just want to know about Jesus. It wasn't in the boxes and boxes and boxes of sandals that I could have provided, in the shirts, in the food. He said, Jesus is what I need. I want to show you a short video about empathy. So what is empathy and why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions, where empathy is relevant, and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment, not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. <laughs> Recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, and climb down. I know what it's like down here. And you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, it's bad, uh-huh. Uh, no, you want a sandwich? Um, Empathy is a choice, and it's a vulnerable choice, because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time, because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful, and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put this little lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. Oh, at least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. <laughs> John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. 
but one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Did you hear that? I'd like to end with this, that I'm sure many of you have heard the, the term, well, there's light at the, I don't believe that. And I'm going to illustrate that very quickly for you. Can we get the lights down? So, Seth, can you hold it for me? Here's the light, and that's the end of the tunnel, right? Here's where you are. Let me just say this. Light is a tool that is used to expose darkness. So if I'm in the tunnel and light is at the end, where am I recognizing the light? I'm recognizing the light from where I stand. And so what I want you to understand and what I want you to know that light is not at the end of the tunnel. You are the light that is representative of Christ in the tunnel and it's not at the end, it is where you recognize it. That's where the light is at. And that is why we as believers, we don't wait until we get to the end of the tunnel to share Christ. We don't wait till we get at the end of the tunnel to say it's going to be okay. We don't wait till we get at the end of the tunnel to say, I'm going to walk through this with you. We walk through with you while you're in the tunnel. And we say, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to love on you. And I don't care about anything else but you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we honor you for this time. Lord, we pray that we will always be that which represents your love, your caring to a world that may seem helpless at times, that may seem broken. Help us be that leaning post to be that ministry of reconciliation to this world. This is our prayer. Amen.